Good morning. Please join me in a favorite prayer from Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this day, for this church that we can take for granted assembling together so freely. And we pray for those who cannot. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Ukraine as we lift up all in Israel, especially the innocent that are now in harm's way. Lord, we pray for all the leaders in our world, be they local, statewide, or national. We would ask that they would turn to you and seek your wisdom and that the decisions made would bring glory and honor to you. We lift lift up our church family, and we especially pray for our pastor, Robbie Holt, on what has been a very sad weekend for him as he's been in Chattanooga conducting a funeral from a longtime family friend. We thank you for his ministry and that he and Christy and even his parents are now part of the covenant family. Lord, we would ask for a hedge of protection for all of our pastors and their families and all the precious people that make our church function. For those in our church office, our nursery workers and kitchen staff, to the custodial teams that make our facilities. Lord, we ask that all the dear people involved in our day school and Mother's Day Out program would feel blessed as well. We pray for Rachel and Kevin Rolotta and Ann Bradley, Alex, and Alameda Bell in the loss of Rachel's mom. We pray for Cappy and Jim Naftal in the loss of her father. We pray for Mike and Sandy Whitten as he continues to battle cancer. We pray for our day of appreciation for our local ministry partners on Wednesday. We pray that they will feel loved and appreciated. Lord, in this Christmas season, we pray for all of our families as we joyously celebrate together and for the easing of tensions that can also arise at this time of year. We hand you these prayers as well as those left unspoken, knowing that you hear them all. We pray these, Lord, in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. It's always a joy to be here to be able to preach and open God's Word with you all. Um, So we're in Advent. This is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Um, There are four Sundays in this particular era, uh, this time in the church calendar. It's always really fun. And so our passage today, there's an angel, there's a donkey, and there's even a king. And so if I were to tell you uh, of those three elements, you'd be like, hey, we're taking a pause. We're going to go into maybe Luke or Matthew. We're going to hear about Jesus, right? No, not us. Okay, not us. We're sticking with the book of Numbers. We're going to keep trudging in the wilderness, and we're going to stick with God's people in this quite obscure, very interesting, and often funny book of the Bible. And you may be asking or wondering to yourself, what on earth or what in heaven and on earth does the book of Numbers have to do with Advent? And I want to tell you, it has everything to do with Advent. We're entering into a a little passage of some narratives that relate this interaction between Balaam, a pagan prophet from somewhere in Mesopotamia, and King Balak, who's the king of a little nation state of Moab, just on the eastern side of what would become Israel. And we're seeing their interaction together and what's going to unfold And all of their interaction over the next few weeks are going to point in some really beautiful ways to King Jesus, because he is a true and good king. So here's the context in the book of Numbers. God's people have been trudging through the wilderness. The past few chapters have covered about 38 years of their wandering. 
And in the previous chapter, in chapter 21, Israel defeated three different kingdoms, three different kings. King Og, probably my favorite king name in the whole Bible. King Sihon and then the kingdom of Arad, they defeated them on their way to the promised land. And so now they've come in and they are encamped on the plains of Moab. And the king of Moab, King Balak, is not so pleased with this. And now there's a new enemy. A different sort of enemy that is prowling around God's people. And so this new enemy has different tactics. They, this new enemy schemes behind the scenes in an effort to derail and bring a curse on God's people. These three chapters are really interesting in the Bible because Numbers 22 through 24 provide a really outside perspective on the whole narrative. God's people are not present in these chapters other than visible from a top precipice where Balaam and Balak are interacting. And so the question is, when there's an enemy that's unseen, unheard, and scheming to harm God's people, what will we do? How do we as God's people deal with evil in our life and in our world, sin, both in our own hearts and in our community, some of it which is unseen, unheard, unspoken, and scheming to bring harm to God's people in his community? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think Moses in these chapters is helping us understand. He's, he's wanting us to get a bigger vision of who our king is. He wants us to know more deeply and more intimately who our king is as it relates to these scheming, scheming tricksters. And so earlier on Tuesday, you see you have the whole passage uh, printed in your worship guide. On Tuesday, we have to decide where we're going to put the word liturgy in such a long passage. And I said, ah, just throw it in the middle and I'll read the first part and then do the word liturgy. Well, a lot of days have happened since then and I've changed my mind. So we're going to do things a little differently. I'm going to narrate the first part of the story. Then we're going to read the interaction between Balaam and his talking donkey. Kids, did y'all hear that? There's a donkey that talks, okay? This is like Shrek, but better, okay? We're going to read that part together and then do the word liturgy. So here, let's, let's start. So here's where we are. God's people are on the plains of Moab, and there's a king of, a, of, the, of the kingdom of Moab His name is Balak. Now, Balak thinks he's a clever guy. He has seen these other three kingdoms around him be totally annihilated by God's people. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to fight them like that. They're too strong. There's too many of them. They're like oxen in a field. They're just licking up the whole thing. They would devour us. I'm going to do things a little differently. I've heard of this guy, Balaam. He's, He's a mercenary prophet for hire. He lives somewhere in Mesopotamia. He's a five star. I mean, this guy is a, is a big time recruit. I'm going to send some messengers with a decent, decent package, NIL money, and I'm going to go get him. We need to go get this guy, bring him onto our team because I know that he can curse people. Whatever he does, he can bring curse on some people and bless other people. I need to tap into that. So I'm going to go get Balaam and bring him to my team. And so he sends messengers out to go get Balaam. Well, as they get there, they come and they present, you know, the deal to Balaam. And Balaam's like, pretty good deal. That money looks pretty good, but I need to check with the big guy. I need to check with the boss. I need to check with the divine to see if all of this is okay and if I should go with you. 
And so that night, while they're waiting, God speaks to Balaam and he says, you shall not go with these people, nor should you say anything because my people are blessed. Don't go, don't say anything. And so he comes out the next morning and he says, I'm sorry, but the Lord said, I cannot go with you. Yahweh said no. So that's how it is. Well, Balak is having none of it. When Balak finally hears that Balaam, I know they're both B names, so we got to follow, you got to pay attention. When he finally hears that Balaam doesn't, what doesn't want to come, he's like, I thought I gave a good package. I sent some money. I, you know, it's like, I thought this was a good deal. You know what? We're sending the whole, we're sending a big fleet, all sorts of princes. We're sending a real, the real money now over to Balaam so that Balaam can see just how sweet the deal is. So even more princes show up to Balaam's door and they're like, all right, here's the new deal. Big package, a lot of NIL money. We want you. And so Balaam's like, that does sound pretty good. That's a pretty good deal. Um, But I I still need to check. Let me just check one more time. Y'all wait here. Let me check with God one more time. So he does. And that night God says, okay, go with them, but say only what I put in your mouth to say. And then that's where we pick up. Balaam comes out and he tells them, he saddles his donkey and he goes with the princes. And we're going to start reading in verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of Yahweh took his stand in the way as his adversary Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of Yahweh stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of Yahweh went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh, she laid down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then Yahweh opened the mouth of the donkey. Kids, did you hear that? He opened the mouth of the donkey... And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, as if this is totally normal behavior, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam said no. Then Yahweh opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of Yahweh said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not, Turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of Yahweh, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me, 
Now, therefore, if it's evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of Yahweh said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray before we get in. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we ask for your blessing. We ask that you would open our eyes to see the glory of King Jesus, that you would help us to see our need of him and just how strongly he defends and rules over us as our true and great king. Help us to trust him more deeply today. In his name we pray. Amen. So what are we supposed to do when there's evil, sin, a scheming enemy behind the scenes that's attempting to bring harm on God's people? What, what are we supposed to do? Moses is directing our attention so that we might see clearly who our king really is. He wants to remind us just who Yahweh is, who stands in the gap for us, to defend us and to rule over us. And he does so with this story, which is true. And I think the first thing that we need to see is that our God is the king who laughs at his enemies. You cannot read this story and not feel an internal chuckle. Okay? If you're reading Numbers 22 and you see this guy riding on a donkey, and then all of a sudden the donkey's mouth speaking to him very clearly and him having a very normal conversation with this donkey, then I think we need to stop and then rethink what we're doing. You're meant to laugh. Sometimes the story of God's people, your story, the story of the world is so funny. It's just ridiculous. Who could come up with these kinds of things? And it's meant to show us how God sees his enemies. Compared to our great king, the enemies of God are laughable. The best that they could bring is tiny, tiny, tiny compared to our great king. So one of my favorite games, um, uh, it's a card game, and I learned it in Peru, but it, it wasn't in Spanish, it was actually in Dutch. So the game is called Waeste Etzel. Uh, loosely translated, where's the ass? Where's the donkey? Um, and so you have this, this card game and you're dealt a hand of cards and they're all enumerated. And the goal of the game is to get rid of your cards first, right? Any cards left in your hand or points tallied against you, okay? Ultimately, person with the lowest score wins. Well, in the deck, there's one card that's the donkey card. It's the Etzel card. And this card is worth 20 points. So if you have this card, you're losing. You do not want this card in your hand at the end of the game, okay? And so imagine me, we're sitting at a table, a lot of Peruvians and one Dutch guy explaining us this game, loosely translated from Dutch into Spanish. I have no idea what's happening, okay? I do not know what this game's about other than I don't want to be the donkey. And so here's the thing about the donkey card. It's two-sided, so that means at every moment of the game, everyone at the table knows who the donkey is. You always know where the ass is, okay? That's the point of this story. 
See, when we're reading right here in number 22, we're meant to be asking ourselves the question, who's, who's the ass in this story? Like, who's, who's really the donkey here? Okay? And it's laughably obvious. Just look at what happens in this passage with Balaam and his donkey, because God is showing that he laughs in derision at his enemies. First, notice this. This seer, Balaam is supposed to be a seer who can see into the future and see the divine. Well, this guy is is blind as a bat. Okay, verse 23, he's walking on the donkey, or he's riding on the donkey, and servants are with him. Verse 23, who is it that sees the angel of of the Lord? Well, it's not the seer. It's the dumb donkey who sees the angel of the Lord. Then look at verse 25. A little while later, after the the donkey is turned off the road, verse 25, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it wasn't this enlightened seer who could see the angel of the Lord. It was the donkey. And then for a third time in verse 27, who is it that sees the trouble in the way? Well, it's not the mighty prophet. It's the dumb donkey who's the only one who can see the angel of the Lord. So this seer who's supposed to be able to see into the future and to see the divine and to see what blessing and curses can fall, he's totally blind. Moreover, he's a prophet. He's meant to proclaim, right? That's what Balak went to go get him for. I want you to curse this people so that I can defeat them because I know whatever you curse is cursed and whatever you bless is blessed. So I want you to come and speak a word over them. Well, this prophet doesn't have a whole lot to say. If you read through the passage, there's only one being in this passage that actually has anything true and and trustworthy to say, and it's not the prophet. In fact, it's the donkey. Look at verse 28 and following. Balaam was angry and he struck the donkey for the third time with his staff and it was The donkey, after the Lord opened its mouth, she said to Balaam, what have I done to you? Why are you hitting me? Why are you, why have you struck me these three times? Can't you see that I'm attempting to help you? Well, no, he's a blind seer. He can't see anything and he's a mute prophet. He has nothing worthwhile to say against God's people. And then moreover, you think that this guy is mighty. Well, actually he's pretty impotent. If you look at verse 29, he gets angry and he says, if I had a sword, I would kill you on the spot. Talking to a donkey, just remember, he is talking to a donkey. If you were to walk up on this scene and just watch the interaction, you would laugh. You would laugh. He's talking to a donkey and he's like, I would kill you with a sword if I had one. Well, that's kind of funny because what is the angel of the Lord standing in the way with? A sword. Yes, I hear the kids are in there. Paying attention. With a sword. And then if you look at verse 33, the angel of Yahweh is speaking to Balaam and says, if it was not for this donkey moving you out of the way, I would have struck you dead with this sword. So this seer who's supposed to be able to speak prophecy of curse and blessing and who's a judge over who ought to get blessed and who ought to get cursed is really blind, dumb, and impotent. He has no power whatsoever. That's what Moses wants us to see about this scheming, greedy, pagan diviner 
who would seek to do God's people harm. He has nothing compared to God. And this is what God does. He laughs at his enemies. We're meant to be thoughtful and think about, remember Psalm 2? This is exactly what the psalmist records, thinking probably about moments like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Friends, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes life doesn't seem very funny. In fact, it seems pretty difficult. And there's also evil, there's sin in my own heart and in the community where we live and other places that I I don't even know that's there sometimes. And yet it's wreaking havoc. And sometimes those enemies of the Lord, those enemies of God's people seem pretty powerful. Things don't seem to be getting better in my life or in our community or in other parts of the world as we just prayed. Why are these things not improving? Well, we have to remember Moses wants us to see our king. Ultimately, he is the king who is laughing at his enemies because even the best that they could bring against God's people is nothing. It may linger for a moment. Darkness may seem to have the upper hand, but he will dispel it. The shadows will flee away. He's the king who laughs. This passage is supposed to be really funny, but it's also meant to be deadly serious. We're supposed to laugh, but then we're also supposed to take note because apart from God's grace working in our own heart, we would be just as blind, just as dumb, and just as powerless as Balaam is. But indeed, God has worked in our heart by the spirit if you belong to him. And so God laughs at his enemies, but then the second thing, and really we'll spend all of our time here, the second thing is that he's a king who sovereignly rules and defends his people by the power of his word. This is what God's people need to hear. In this passage and in this narrative, they're encamped on the plains of Moab. They're waiting until they get home. This sounds a whole lot like us and a whole lot like this season. Advent's a season of waiting. It's a season when we're waiting for the king, the true king to come. And even us who've, you know, on this side of the first advent, we're waiting for our king to come again and to bring us all the way home. So Moses is reminding people like us just who that king is, what he's like. He's the king that rules and defends his people by the power of his word. Throughout this whole passage, I don't know if you saw it, if, you're, if your eyes are skimming, there's one thing that kind of keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is the central theme of this whole passage. And really the question for that is, is God's word powerful or can it be changed? Can God's word be thwarted? Can God's blessing on his people be changed to a curse? And maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you're sitting and your circumstances are really hard and you're like me. I, I know that I belong to Jesus. I know that he has died for me. I know that God is for me. And yet I'm pretty shaky on this ground. 
I don't know if his word is sure. Have you felt shaky? Have you felt like you might fall off left on your own power? Well, I think that's, that's the key and Moses wants us to understand this. Look at verse six. This verse really helps us understand the whole passage. This is what Balak wanted Balaam, this prophet, to do. He says, all right, come and curse this people for me. Come and curse them so that I can defeat them in battle. Since they're too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. See, Balak thinks he's being clever. He thinks he's being real smart. These other three kings, they, they just went right into battle with the Israelites. That was a bad move. They all got defeated. I'm going to do things a little differently. I'm not going to fight a conventional war. We're going we're gonna to scheme a little bit. I'm going to go behind the scenes. I'm going to hire this famous mercenary. In fact, this is kind of an aside, but uh, we've, we have since found documents and tablets dating from like the 14th century and 8th century BC that describe Balaam of Baor. So like this is a well-known famous mercenary prophet in the ancient world. I'm going to go hire this guy. And as soon as these words come out, these words, whom you bless will be blessed and curse will be cursed. Well, now we know there's a contest. Any of you kids read the God contest? It's one of my favorite books. It's about Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal. This is a similar thing going on. There's a God contest going on. There's a king contest. Who is the mighty king? So Balak sends his messengers to Balaam, presents all this money, presents what, what's on offer for him. God too sends his messengers, the same word. The angel of the Lord is really the messenger of the Lord. So both kings send a messenger and we already saw which one of those had more power. And not only that, but Balak lays this paltry honor, you know, honor and glory and fame and money. But what's that compared to the eternal blessing of the triune God over his people and a promised inheritance that will never cease? And also when you hear these words, God's people, imagine yourself hearing these words Little kids hearing these words, your ears are tuned and you hear, we know that whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. Your ears ought to perk up. You ought to be paying attention. You ought to be going, hey, 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 I've heard this. I've heard this before. You've heard it before. God in Genesis 12 called, he spoke to Abram. Remember, Abram, a pagan moon worshiper in Mesopotamia. God spoke to him and said, I am going to bless you. You're my people. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And those whom you bless will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. And so you will be a blessing to the nations. Balak had no clue that in trying to get Balaam to curse God's people, that he was inviting the very curse of God on his own head. It's laughable. But that's, the, that's our king. He's the king who defends us. And here's the question. Can his word really be thwarted? Can a greedy, pagan man be able to turn God's word of blessing to a curse? Now, there's this interesting thing happening in the text. And maybe you picked up on it. At first, God told Balaam, don't go and don't say anything. And then a little while later, 
he said, okay, go, but say only when I, what I tell you to say. And then Balaam saddled his donkey and went, and then God's anger was kindled. So some of you may have been wondering, like, hold on a second, what's happening here? What's God doing? This doesn't make any sense. He said, don't go. He says, go. Now he's angry. Sounds like me being a dad. I can't keep my head straight. Now, here's what's happening. It's subtle. It's so subtle in the text that we would almost miss it. I think I've missed it every single time I read this passage. I had no idea. Throughout, I'm going to show you in the verses, so just pay attention. Throughout, there's a question of, does Balaam belong to Balak's people or is he really a part of God's people? There's this kind of tension in the text. Is Balaam good or is Balaam bad? The text kind of shows Balaam to be good. He's a prophet of Yahweh, right? He's somehow in, t- in, in tune with, with God and able to, to speak on his behalf. So is he good or is he bad? Well, look at this. Verse 12, this is what um, the, the messengers of Balak say, go to Balaam and say, or God says, you shall not go with them. This was God speaking in the dream that night. You shall not go with them. That word with is a particular way of saying with in the Hebrew. It really means together. It's the same root as the root for the word people. Do not be, be with them as if you belong to them, is what he's saying to Balaam. Don't go with them. Don't participate in their schemes. Okay, and then in verse 13 and 14, same thing. So Balaam rose and said, the Lord has refused to let me go with you in that way. I'm, I can't be a part of your scheme. And they go back and report, Balaam refuses to be with us. Okay, a little later on in the next interaction, verse 19 and 20, Balaam again tells the princes, you stay here and wait. Let me see what God says. And God says, if the men have come to call you, rise and go with them. And that's where you're wondering, hold on, what's happening? It's a different word. It's a different way of saying with. That way of saying with really means just accompanying, just like being next to. It's subtle, but it's different. And here's what is is being said. Balaam is a greedy pagan diviner because in the very next verse, verse 21, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes as if he were a part of their schemes. And so that's exactly what God does. He is ruling and defending us from such schemers like this who are only out for themselves, who only care about the money. Just like Balaam. He is a part of the schemes. He's scheming against God's people. And this is exactly who God is for us. His word is immovable. That's why he sends his messenger of Yahweh to stand in front of Balaam. You shall not go any further. Because I know that you're a part of these schemes. And you will not speak any word against my people. Because they are blessed. You want to try to, your donkey is maneuvering you out of the way because I'm ready to strike you down. I'm holding the sword. If you come one inch further, I will slay you where you stand because you will not speak a word against my people. Friends, we need to know that this is exactly who our God is. This is how God defends you. There's so much evil scheming out of our sight, out of our ear, earshot. We have no idea about If God were to open our eyes to all of the darkness that he is restraining, it would overwhelm us. 
And yet he stands fighting in the gap saying, you will go no further. These are my people and I'm guiding them home all the way. And not only that, but he defends us from this unseen harm. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know I have. There's just some times when I feel this deep spiritual and emotional distress. I don't know what it is. Circumstances in life seem to be going okay, but I'm just spiritually in a, in a bad place or emotionally I can't get out of a funk. I don't know what it is that's happening in my life. I can't put my finger on it. Have any of you ever felt that? That shakiness that I don't know if I can stand on God's word. I'm, I'm about to fall off. Why well, I, I remember it brought to my mind this, this moment of realization. So when we lived in Peru about 10 years ago, we worked in a community out on the outskirts of town called Wichenzao. And for the first full year that we went out there, we had no clue, but this was one of the more dangerous parts of the city. Um, there were two different rival gangs that lived in the same community and our church, the church plant stood right in the middle of the two areas of the two gangs. Um, and so I would go out there. I would send Liz out there by herself. We'd go to the church and we would do, you know, worship. And then we do children's programs on Saturdays. And we had this thing called Yo Aprendo for kids and kids all over the community would come from both sides of town, from both sides of the community both rival gang situations would come to the church and we would do games and we would do Bible lessons and we would pray. And I mean, it was so much fun. Hundreds of kids were, were there. And then me, just look at me. Okay. Look at this. This guy is walking these kids back to their homes into these gang riddled areas and just like waving at people like, you know, like the dumb gringo, like, hey, this is good. I love being here. Hola. Um, I had no clue. I was blissfully ignorant to the danger all around me. And friends, I think that's us now. I think sometimes we are blissfully ignorant of all that assails us. The evil one has so many tricks and schemes to derail your faith, to derail the life of the church, to derail the unity of God's people. And he's constantly scheming against you and we don't see it. And we have a king who stands in the gap who defends us. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, there's a question, question 26. It says, how does Christ fulfill the office of king? You see, we have a king and he was sent for us and here's how he does it. It says that Christ fulfills the office of a king by subduing us to himself. We who were dead and slaves to sin, he, he rescued us and subdued us to himself. And now he holds tight to us. And it says he rules and defends us by the word of his power. He cares for us. And then the very last line is some of my favorite words. It says, and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. Friends, the evil that assails you, you don't even know the half of what it's capable of. And Yahweh stands in the gap. King Jesus stands and restrains it by his power and his spirit so that it cannot assail you with its full force. He holds it back and daily conquers it in your own heart and in our community until one day he comes in the power of his fullness and he conquers it once and for all. 
He's the king who rules and he defends us. Christ puts to shame openly the principalities and the rulers of the air. And he does it because he died on a cross. He bore the wrath of God for you. That's how he defends you. He restrains and conquers enemies by dying and being raised to new life. Moses wants us to understand that's who our king is. When we don't even know what is assailing us, our king stands to defend us and he laughs in the face of his enemies because they could bring no harm against God's people that is apart from his will. In Hebrews, the Bible says that God has spoken in his son. If you belong to him today, I am sure that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But if you have not believed in him, I invite you to ask. Ask the Lord to open your eyes like the stubborn prophet so that you might see clearly who Jesus is. So you might see him as a real king, as the true king who loves you and defends you and cares for you. Ask the Lord to open your blind eyes so that you might see and believe. So that all of us together might believe it and hold fast. Let's pray. Almighty God, you're a good king. You rule us. You defend us. You restrain and conquer all your and our enemies. Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that you would sustain us. That you would meet us here in your grace. Lord, we need you. Help us while we wait. In Jesus' name, amen.